So Julie Baleen, um, you can look up her, her interview here. I've also interviewed her a couple of times and she's doing, she wrote the book beneath sheep's clothing. If you have nothing to do for the next two weeks, I highly recommend picking up the book. It's a really fast read. Um, and it is about how communism infiltrated. Well, first off how communism took over Russia, the Soviet union, and then, um, how it's now infiltrating our churches and it isn't pretty much every single church um, or denomination anyways and our schools so i speak in the video about the school problem and especially the school related to how they're using minorities as pawns yeah yeah i'll put a link to the to the trailer and to the um interview that i did with julie and her channel this... is um beneath sheep's clothing and I think Carrie, you're going to have this video up on your channel as well. Do you yes. want to plug your channel? Sure. My channel is Carib Marcel, Be Not Afraid. It's probably just going to become Carib Marcel because people have a hard time finding it. But thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. So the information will be on both. And so I'm I'm really happy to talk with both of you. Happy holidays, um, Christine Seifenwalk and Carib Carib Marcel. I always want to call you Carrie. So. Um, okay. Try to say your whole name, not your nickname. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, Carrie, you sent us some uh, information. This is uh, uh, exposing ethnic studies. And so we wanted to have a chance to have a chat and we're on live. And I see Republic Now is in the chat. Hello, thanks for joining us. Please put any questions you have in the chat. We'll try to read them if we have a chance as we go. And Kara, um, what's going on with ethnic studies? Yeah, so we knew that it was bad. We knew that it was a biased version of history, but what we didn't really understand was the Trojan horse it is to literally destroy our country. And what I mean by that, when I was reading through it, because someone um, someone had saw our interview and realized that ethnic studies, the, the first curriculum was being created here in Utah. And so they had sent me a copy and they they said please cover this so um so it was pretty shocking to see that it was coming from utah as we've talked before utah seems like family friendly state you know um, yeah that surprises me to hear that the first one came out of utah yeah it's they followed a california model right yes yeah they they followed the california model policy for all of their ideas and so and what i just found out from another um warrior parent for lack of a better word who's also a teacher was that maine is doing something very very similar um and so she said once she starts exposing it people are really going to be shocked and it is shocking because one of the things that i hear first and foremost is i don't want martin luther king taught and i'm anti-semitic and don't want the holocaust taught mm. they aren't in this book in the way that you would expect them to be mm. so when they talk about Martin Luther King, they talk about how his um, tactics were not strong enough. Mm. So it's with they look back with judgment and want to rewrite that. Yes. Well, Carrie, so one person in the chat just said you need to turn up the volume on your mic. You are a little bit quiet. Is that a possibility? If not, it's okay. I can hear you. It's just a little quiet. Is this any better? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is. All right. Thanks for letting us know. <laughs> Yeah, my 15-year-old tech guy is um, in the other <laughs> room. <laughs> so we need help. 
But um, so what they're doing is they are they are turning they used ethnic studies as a Trojan horse. So people came in and they thought, oh, well, we're just going to learn about cultures. We're just going to celebrate people's identities and where they come from and a celebration of that. But what we find page after page and chapter after chapter in these books is that it's really a land grab. It's really, you know, so in my little tiny small town, we have Native Americans going to their own history class, not having history with the rest. And this is for middle school. Oh, going to a specifically Native American history class. Okay. So there being, there's more segregation. Yeah. (laughs) Full on segregation. And when I presented that to my parents, they're afraid to say anything because they don't want to be racist. So they feel like the only person who should be able to complain about that should be a Native American. And Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there going, do you know what too male, too pale, too stale means my friends? Mm -hmm. Because that's Mm. in every single chapter. So this stuff is called voices and ethnic studies survey. And the reason it's called an ethnic studies survey is because after every chapter, there's a, what do you think? So the first ones are, what do you think about your whiteness? Can you define your whiteness? Mm. Um, And then it becomes, what do you think about one of the crazy things about this is that again, we think of it as cultures, but then we have gender and climate. Wow. Gender and climate are rolled into cultures. Mm. Yes. Well, that, yeah okay so it has been um it has been shocking and so some of the art will show the statue of liberty and a bunch of african-americans who have all drowned they're all in the water drowning um this is one of the pictures that they show and and what it what i noticed first off was that they've taken all the joy out of these books so there isn't There is no, um, like it says, yes, Barack Obama was elected, but that brought out so much racism. So it's not a celebration of him. Mm -hmm. It's not a celebration of Sidney Poitier being the first black actor to win an Academy Award. There is no celebration of what has been accomplished. Um, It is only the stories of, of fight and struggle and what do you deserve because your ancestors have been through this plight and struggle? And I have, I've spent the last month going to my senators and the Congress and showing it to them and saying, this is what you guys are letting in. And the problem, again, why I call it a Trojan horse is because they thought like all the rest of us did. We think our politicians are so smart, so brave. So, you know, all of these things, they're just us, right? Christina can't hear you. Oh yeah. And so people are so, they're afraid to stand. First off, they got them, they got them with the whole, you know, you're white, you shouldn't speak. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which was a bunch of BS, my friends. I'm not even, I'm not a big swear, but this is BS. That you guys think that you can't talk while they, Yuri Bezmenov said, without a shot, we will lose our country without a shot. Mm. And that's what's happening. You're being guilted into losing your country. Mm. And it's all of our country. And our children, they're flat out brainwashing our children. So Can I I ask a question? Can I ask you a question? So when you say, because I'm really... 
I, I'm also in the camp of we're losing our country, but I want to hear you define what that means, if you don't mind, like what it means to you. Right. What I see is <clears throat> this great experiment. Um, and yes, we have had our growing pains, right? We've had some very, very terrible things. Please tell me a country that hasn't mm. or doesn't continue to have it. And when we pretend that, oh, when we're all this group of homogenized, you know, we're all so mixed that you can't tell what anyone is and everything's going to be better. No, it's not. You're still going to resent your neighbor because you've taught our children to live in a constant state of resentment. Mm. And I believe what they ultimately want to do is make a wasteland of America. Mm. So Barack Obama, um, not to get into too much of politics, but his pastor famously said, not God bless America, God damn America. And oh that, that is what I see in the, in these books is yes. just a flat okay. out, you should hate this country. And here is why. Yes. Okay. I see that too. But what do you think is the purpose of that? I think it, I don't have a whole lot because I'm really kind of a one issue person, but mm -hmm. I, but what I think <clears throat> it is, is globalism. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. I think that it, it's coming down to America has been the one place that people have gone to get away from mm -hmm. the very bad mm -hmm. ideas, the very bad policies, and they don't want it. They want it to be a stomping ground. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we have so many people like coming through who are not learning first to appreciate the country that they're coming into. Mm -hmm. And you have to wonder why, like, why are there so many crazy like apartment complexes that have 800 units mm -hmm. what's going on mm. so yeah do you want to see some of the images or do you does anybody yeah have what is the, what are these images coming from this is from the ethnic studies book okay so and this is this has already been introduced or okay. is it going to be so it has been released and okay. um it's, it's been released. It was released in Tennessee at a convention. Mm -hmm. And so several states have shown interest apparently. So mm -hmm. they're adopting this as curriculum. They are adopting this. In, Utah has not yet. Okay. In fact, one Senator I went to was very smug and said, yeah, will you let me know if that gets passed here? It's going to be because mm -hmm. they don't understand what they're doing. They mm -hmm. don't understand that when they leave holes for inclusion, this is what they're doing. Now, to be clear, I would be, I, I know you guys well enough. We all support inclusion and we're classical liberal people, right? Mm -hmm. so, so that's the way that we look at the world. But um, their version of inclusion means centering around the marginalized. Mm -hmm. You must mm -hmm. center around some, you must exclude others. And we're talking young, as young as kindergarten some of this curriculum is coming to this, the stuff that I specifically am going to show you is for 11th and 12th graders. Okay. But remember every parent is sending their kids going, Oh, I think it's so wonderful that they're going to learn about other cultures. They're going to learn about cultural diversity. Mm -hmm. And they, that's why my goal is to share this with as many people as possible. So if I can shamelessly plug here, if there's anybody else who does a podcast and wants to cover this, please reach out. 
Yeah. Um, I think this is really important because you're what you're going to show us and what you're talking about is the efforts that are being made to convince your kids to think a certain way. And a lot of parents, especially liberally minded parents, and I don't mean left left wing authoritarians, I mean, liberally minded parents who want to give their children the opportunity to expand into their own thoughts and develop the way that they you know, they don't want to overly influence their kids. One of the things that they tend to do is to like be very hands off with information and and with impressing their values on their kids. And so they can be, you know, allow their kids the room to explore. But what you may not realize is how heavily the the school system is trying to program your kids and not just the school system, but also the entertainment that they're ingesting and the stuff that they're doing online. So if you're not talking to your kids, someone else certainly is. And, and this is really, I'm, I've looked at some of the stuff that you're, you're about to put on the screen and it's really, it's so heavy handed. It's, it's such blatant indoctrination. It's, it's really just- scary. I mean, that's the, I think, I'll leave it there for now. It's mm-hmm. it's very scary. It's frightening. It's very one-sided. I am perfectly fine with having George Washington Carver and W.E.B. Dubois yes. together equally. One gets one page, one gets another page. Mm-hmm. That's not what's happening here. Mm-hmm. In fact, George Washington Carver is called an accommodationist. And Okay. So basically they're belittling the contributions that these people have made because they weren't going hard enough. Yes. And the constitution in general, which is what our entire, all of our freedoms rest upon the constitution. And that's, I think what bothers me the most about this stuff too, is that that has completely been shredded um, and minimized as any kind of relevant document when our entire basis for freedoms and freedom of thought, liberal thinking rests on all of those freedoms that we supposedly have. Well, and they're flat out. Um, <laughs> I don't have another word for it. They are urinating on the the history and the efforts that people made during the civil rights movement. Yes. You know, I, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it wasn't that long before us, you guys. It was like 20 years before us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So much effort into changing the world and making it better. And now we literally have Ibram X. Kendi has a full page in this book. So does Robin D'Angelo. Oh gosh. Oh. <laughs> and they're gosh. taught as they're taught as well, experts. So let me show you. Yeah, yes, please. Make sure I can still I, I can still share. You should right be now, able right? to share. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, you're talking about 20 years right uh, ahead of us. I mean that doesn't really surprised me as a child when they took God out of the Pledge of Allegiance and they actually had public schools not really reciting the Pledge of Allegiance anymore because of the God component. I thought even as a child back then, something was wrong. Hmm. Something was inherently wrong, even though, you know, I came from a pretty open-minded progressive school system. I thought that was a problem. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I had a, the opposite feeling about that. I was glad I was, uh, I felt like a, at the, at that point in my life, I felt like religion was really oppressive and I was glad to see it not being pushed. So that's, and the pledge also, I, maybe I started down this road of resenting the country before. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I've, I've come to see it very differently now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what are we looking at Carrie? So this is just one of the first pages in the first chapters and it, shows a conservative 
parent. And so it says, in recent years, the news has been filled with angry parents protesting at school board meetings, disagreements over issues such as the touching of race and ethnic studies, masking during the COVID pandemic, and the rights of transgender students have led to events like parents shown in this uh, raucous school board meeting in Virginia. Okay. Hmm. Is this a true thing? Yes, it absolutely is. Oh my gosh. And then the second part of that. Yes. In the 60, many white parents. It, yeah. Read yes. that out, Christine, starting with parent protests. Um, parent protests of school policies are not just a recent phenomenon. However, in the 1960s, many white parents put their children into private schools in response to desegregation policies. In the 70s, they protested busing policies aimed at integration. In the 1990s, conservative parents protested the teaching of sex education in schools. Wow. So So these are like the white parents who pulled their children out to avoid the, you know, being in desegregated schools. Wow. Now, I don't know if you guys remember, but Mm. I definitely saw some crazy school board meetings where people had stopwatches. And if you were white, they timed how long you could talk. I didn't see that. That's terrible. I've also seen black chanters chant um, to the point that I, I told parents, remember what they're saying, you know, when, as they chant, do their, we're here, we're, you know, we're here, we're queer or whatever it is that they're saying, mm-hmm. say the same thing with our words, like combat that. So these things were happening, but there's nothing like that in the book. There's nothing about they're rewriting, they're rewriting history altogether and changing what the events of the past were, even our current events, even that statement alone right there, it it does not include the fact there was a lot of controversy about schools Mm -hmm. being shut down during COVID. There was controversy about whether masks work. There was controversy about vaccines. None of that's included. Mm -hmm. And all of that is part of the narrative. And those parents are all part of the narrative of, Hey, wait a minute. We don't, what you're doing, our children's more harmful than it is good. That part isn't really being discussed. It's being discussed as this time of, of angry people wanting to bring back all of this, you know, segregation and, and all of this, you know, slave mentality, I guess, if you will, without presenting what those parents were actually saying and why Mm -hmm. the parents were actually upset. It's what you're talking about, Carib, where there's not the two, two, three, four, five sides to the story. It's just the one side. It's the uh, one picture that they have interpreted to be the truth. Right. And so look at this. How how are hashtags useful in gaining attention or support for protest movements? This is the first chapter of this book. Mm. Within the first chapter, mm. they want kids to be thinking about how to protest. Mm-hmm. And mm. then this one, um, what role, if any, should parents and guardians play in determining what takes place at school? Mm-hmm. I mean, if that doesn't the inflame role, you, all I, of it. <laughs> I mean, come on. If if that doesn't set you into flames right now, that alone, I mean, something's wrong. These, yeah. This, this is, go if ahead, any, sir. like, oh, daddy state has this. You parents don't need to be involved. Mm, that's exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. The, the whole child, whole school mess is that's what this oh is goodness. And it's, this remember this is for 11th and 12th graders mm-hmm. so 
And why is examining protest and other forms of activism an important part of ethnic studies? This is the grooming of all kids to be activists. Yes. Yeah. Which form of protest in the collection do you think is most effective and why? Yeah, that's grooming. Right. Now, if you doubted that, why? Okay, sorry, guys. <laughs> Here's just one example, one chapter in the book. Just the table of concepts, everything in it. Like I said, there's no joy here. Zero. And another thing that we need to understand with um, the way they take over words is that joy, what we think of joy and what they mean by joy are two very different things. They mean joy in the struggle. Mm -hmm. Can't be joyful unless it is painful, painful, mm. you know, unless you're overcoming something. So we only have the transatlantic slave trade, life of the enslaved, a century of challenge, the civil rights movement, and the movement continues. Um, and then if, and I don't have this down here, but this is a table of contents, or uh, I'm sorry, a timeline. And on this timeline, it is only negative things. Do you it's know what, what really occurs to me with this is the, the grooming of activists, the pushing to protest, and the way that this is being presented, it's very much rhetorical. There's an argument being made <clears throat> and they're establishing their side of an argument. And then they're equipping people to go out in pursuit of the aims of that one side of an argument. And <clears throat> sorry about my throat here. I've got a frog in my throat. Um, one thing that it just, this is standing out to me more and more, the more we have these conversations, I come back to this idea that we have a parallel conversation going on about AI, about universal, universal basic income, about yes. people being made redundant. And what, what does that ultimately mean? It means that people don't feel like there's any point in their lives. They don't feel like they have purpose and meaning and what this does is it injects purpose and meaning. It provides you a, here it is, here's your quest. We've given you a quest and we're going to get you really charged up about it so that you can go out and quest for this. It's mm. like, it's mm -hmm. like when your kids are bored in their room and you give them something and then you try to make them convince them that this is a good thing. Like here, honey, like do this. And then you pep them up with it and you give them the reason why they should go and do this. You're, you're giving them something to do. That's constructive. I feel like we're being, hand, our kids are being given something to do that's constructive and distracts them from the purposelessness of their, of their lives in a technocratic state. But how constructive is it long-term? Okay, because well, every constructive long-term. Well, it's not constructive long-term, but we, you know, we have it, we have the, the climate, slash gender slash yes. sex right. death cult that's coming along to make sure yes. that we don't propagate that many humans i right. yes. know i'm starting to sound like <laughs> your i don't know <laughs> but what else can i mean there's no other determination you can make when you look at the facts is that but that's guys, what they're gunning for what we're yeah. missing here is that every single ethnicity mm. has a chapter like this mm. so so get everybody charged up yep against each other Mm. that's the whole point. Like this is not unifying. People think that this is so unifying, but it's not one of these, the transatlantic slave trade, for example, in that chapter, it says that perhaps African-Americans were not African-Americans, Africans were the first people to ever be on American soil. So you've got a whole chapter um, going for the native Americans. Yes. Talking about the indigenous people. 
and, and hyping them up that this is their land, give it back. And then you have people who believe that the Moors were the first people to be in America. So hyping them up, giving it back. So where does this end? Well, and that's I, a, it's a ahead. good point because I have to say, you know, I was at, I was at a, a talk uh, that was being given a few months ago about something unrelated to any of this. And it was at a very well-known prestigious university in California. And um, I mean, very prestigious and known for a lot of advancements in many areas, technology, medicine, all of it. And the first thing that the presenter said was, can we take a moment to thank our um, ancestors and the indigenous folks who, whose land this belongs to, and we are, you know, gracefully uh, and and, and uh, gratefully uh, sharing this space with them today. And I just could not, I mean, I think I even let out a bit of a smirk and, and I couldn't hold, hold myself together after that. It was just extremely, um, um, there was an agenda behind that is, is how it felt already to set the tone for a talk that was about some advancements in medicine. Mm-hmm. That had nothing to do with that. So that this filtration of this isn't just in a history class or isn't just in liberal arts or isn't just liberal studies or whatever. This is in actually every academic institution, every academic subject mm-hmm. is infiltrated by this, or there's some sort of sh- shadings along these lines that color all of the, like the whole idea that math is racist, for example, okay, which is ludicrous. So I think that's what's also just disturbing is that you can't just go in and say, well, I'm going to go be an accountant and I won't have to deal with this in accounting school. That's not true anymore. Mm-hmm. That that thing about the land acknowledgement that you're talking about, something about that seems very, it seems like um, religion for secular people because, <laughs> you know, yeah, when you, sure, there's this feeling that you get when you're in uh, like a really old church, a really old, beautiful cathedral. And you have this connection to the past. You feel like this, this sense of tradition that is really, it's transcendent because it transcends the life that you're living in the moment that you're in, and you can connect to something further back. And so there's an aspect of that land acknowledgement that does the same thing. It harkens back to a time before, and it says things haven't always been this way and think about the people who came before, but then it twists it and it perverts it into a guilt inducing, you know, we're going to, we're going to move you into a transcendent space. And then while you're there, we're going to twist you into a, we're going to use this to, to create a sense of guilt and obligation. Yes. So ultimately what it comes down to is the same thing that happened with the Hutsu and the Tutsis. Mm. It comes down to slaughtering people because you deserve that. You believe that you deserve more. It's it's a as long as I get mine ide- ideology. The issue is, well, that's one of. I mean, that's a horrible thing. But on top of that, is that what happens when the people aren't united? Then the United Nations comes in, and they start. I don't know if you guys saw what happened in Africa. Um, last month, but the United Nations comes in and they say that in order for you to get funding, then you must adopt these SDG goals. So, or SGD goals, um, you must adopt these. And so then they take your culture and they, and they take everything from you. They take the, your culture, they take your religion, they take your values and they say, oh, tough. They take your ability to work your land and say, mm-hmm. tough. And so that's what happens when we're completely divided and we mm-hmm. give control to these unelected 
buttheads. <laughs> Sorry, with all, well, 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 with the motive of total control. I mean, what's their goal in the end? It's really total control and total power. Yeah. And that's how it starts. You have to, you have to kind of get people to fight with, with each other and to be angry and resentful towards one another, because while they're doing that, they're not looking at who's really in charge and who's actually creating the division to begin with. That's the crazy thing is that the people who created this curriculum, the people who funded the idea of ethnic studies, they are never going to be equitable with the rest of us. Mm -mm. And, you know, we're going, they, they don't want a middle class. And this is going to, I think this is going to lead to violence. Yes, it will. So it started, right. It's going to, it's going to worsen. And this is legacy of colonialism. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting about Christopher Columbus too, because there's so much now hate toward him coming and taking the indigenous lands and whatever, but there's never any mention of the medications and spices and different kinds of things that he also brought. And I'm not saying again, that, okay, there weren't some heinous things that happened, but again, it's providing a total picture, a complete picture or a more well-rounded picture of right. what actually happening happened versus a snapshot that is one-sided and that doesn't acknowledge that there were a lot of life-saving medications and things that came into this country via his, you know, exploration that did end up saving lives of indigenous people as well. They weren't all killed and murdered. Right. No, we, we strip the also good. sacrificing their own children as well. Let's talk for a second about that. It's not a, it's not a culture that's without violence or isn't used to it. They're warring tribes always right. have been very tribal, always will be, or had been in the past. Right. And sacrifice children, each other, all sorts of different kinds of things. It, it, it was not a peaceful people that he encountered either. That's the other part of this. And I am by no means an expert in any way, shape or form on any of this, but I do know a couple of facts mm -hmm. and they were, it was not, they were not a peaceful people, but again, that's not giving color and shading right, mm -hmm. right to the story. Mm -hmm. What is this page here? This looks like another, it's, it's this... another chapter. So this one is the one for indigenous people. It always is colonialization and then how we, how we can continue to resist. And then a celebration of those who are resisting. And it says things like, create a podcast really or, yeah absolutely it's it's how can you take this to the next level Children, what, what specific rights are they looking for do they do they address that because it looks like i mean there's this this thing about see that we exist and i hear that repeated over and over with the different uh, marginalized groups that we're we've been focusing on but what does that mean who is exactly supposed to see in most most of it it's displacing their land taking their land okay they want it back okay so um <laughs> that's so strange i mean what do they think this is gonna do this is just gonna make people furious and and that's the intent. And live with resentment like if you're if yes. if like your land now yes. is a city it's a city what are you supposed to do about that and why right. would you teach kids to be so mad about that yes well also I don't know if you guys have ever been to a reservation, but mm -hmm. it, it yeah. seems yeah. like the wealth is just not spread out evenly. Mm -hmm. It seems like, you know, the people yes. who, who own the casino or whatever, 
they have a lot more wealth than the people who are really, really suffering of their own yes. tribe. Yes. Well, it seems like a really complicated issue that has yeah. a lot that really you could spend if they want to teach about this, they should teach about it properly and take an entire semester, an entire year to really dig into it because there's a lot of there there's a lot of unfairness. There's a lot of tragedy in this story. And yes. it's very complicated. And to use it just as a, a, a kind of a to weaponize this, to make yes. people divided among themselves, it it's, it's really an uh, an unfortunate thing. And it seems like it's not kind to anybody. No. Let me pull this one up. Or productive. No. So here we go again. And this is why they call it that survey. So my question on this survey is, are they actually, is the teacher sitting in the room asking these kids to give their what do you thinks verbally? So this is prompting you to say, oh, I should be an activist. I'm yes. a teenager. Yes. That's what that's prompting. It's yeah, nudging it's, you. Yes, it's nudging. Well, and it's very direct. What did teenage uh, activists risk through, through their participation? How comfortable, How comfortable are you standing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the beliefs that we just told you, you need to have. Mm -hmm. Remember, yeah. because we go back to this first one. Those are their vocab words, bias, explicit, hegemony, implicit, normalization. One of the first things that this book talks about is how a belief in God is pseudoscience. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So, um, and, and a lot of people well, say that that's pseudoscience. I'm... I don't know. It seems like religion is asking questions that science isn't made to answer. Yes. Well, and some apologetics will say that, um, I mean, that God is the great scientist. So the, I just, my question is, is that right for your school, for your schools to teach you what you should believe religiously mm -hmm. or even to, you could say mock religion. Um, you know, one of the things that I've thought about this, the whole therapy, therapizing of a culture really like we've become so obsessed with yeah. therapeutic concepts and one of the things that I, I remember in undergrad when I was studying psychology I was studying at this school where I was in the, the clinical psychology program and it seemed like the clinical psychology program had a bit of a chip on its shoulder about not being legitimate enough uh, like they spend a lot of time if you take one of these uh it's undergrad sociology or psychology courses, mm. they spend the first like big chunk of it just explaining why they're legitimate. And it feels like a little bit too much protestation, you know, it's a little, mm -hmm. and so there's this attempt to, and, and I think that they, they, the question of whether this is legitimate is, should be challenged more directly. Does legitimacy rest on scientific empiricism? And when we're talking about matters of, of human beings, the the way a human's mind works, the way humans interact, the the spirit, if you will, spirituality, God, religion. I don't think we're asking questions that can be easily broken down by a scientific process. I think we're asking yeah. things that are outside of that scope and should be handled differently. And so to say this is pseudoscience is a way to cut that off at the knees and sort of make it illegitimate. But that's just because that's the framework you're trying to use. Why not just allow this to be something different? We have so much, there's so much nuance in this technocratic, um, mechanistic 
dissection of what it means to be a, a person. Yes. I think is part of the problem. It's, it's anti-human. It's anti-spiritual. That's why they have to demonize religion. It's specifically for that reason. They have to demonize religion because if they do that, they can break down the core values, morals, you know, um, connections, because that's the one thing, well, something, I mean, one thing that, that gives meaning to a lot of people's lives is their spirituality. That in and of itself is a reason and a purpose for where they are and why they're here. And people that have that sort of, you know, really strong moral value that that fabric has to be destroyed. If you're going to be able to sort of take over for lack of a better term, you know, in, in the day, in the, in, in the years here, we are of, of AI and of technology and technocracy and all of that. So they have to destroy that, that relationship between a person, their spirituality, a person and God, for example, is one that's the most private relationship probably out there and the most intimate. So without that, without having a, an ability to have a core relationship like that in your life, whether it's God, whether it's something else, whether you have spiritual beliefs or and, and maybe that's not spiritual for you, but it's something else without having that though. And the ability to have that, that strips away, you know, what it is to be a human. It strips away what it is to be, you know, a, a, a person that has, you know, it's thoughts and wants been, and desires. Hmm? It's ultimately been what's defeated communism every mm. single, whether or not it's defeated it on a grand scale or whether it's defeated it within people's homes people used to go downstairs into the basement after the kids are brainwashed all day at school and they'd go downstairs in the basement and they would whisper the truth to their children yes and this is about making the state i.e the government the world government become god yes it can give it can punish it can reward and our kids are just supposed to accept that and for people who are of faith whether that's Muslim or whether that's Christian or whatever that is, sending our children to school to have them stripped of their faith. We literally believe, as I've never hidden it before, I'm a person of faith. And we we literally believe that our salvation mm -hmm. relies on on the things that we know to be true and the way that we live our life and, and who we follow. And to say mm -hmm. that we can't, to strip that from our children. Yes. Is really psychotic. Yes. <laughs> I just, that's hmm. all I can think of is that it's, it's it psychotic and it doesn't, yes, it, it doesn't lead to, you know, a healthy integration of one's sense of self at all. Well, it's in the chat, go ahead. Vibrant goo in the chat. That's a funny name, by the way. Religion also prescribes that there is absolute truth, though it comes from God. And I think, yeah, there's, I, I think that that's, valid. I mean, we have, there have been problems with overreaching tyranny through religion. The one that we're experiencing right now is, uh, is tyranny through scientism, through materialism, but it's not that religion is the answer. There's, there's human uh, processes at play that are similar in both. And so I don't know that that's a clear answer, but this, but the idea that we can be drilled down to just something that's material and yes. like, what are we, what is, what does it mean? I think that's the, the problem of this era. This, this era is one of, um, I guess I said mechanistic, but materialistic and, and, and we're replaceable. The, There's no unique yeah. 
kind of footprint that we each leave in the world or mm-hmm. that we each, you know, contribute to something. We're pretty much replaceable by machines, by bots, by all sorts of things. And I think that's another part of it too, is, mm-hmm. you know, there's some quality of feeling that unique, you know, being, you know, you're your own unique person or whatever mm-hmm. is, is, uh, something that gets lost here as well. And I think well, that that's, you know, that you're going to lose a sense of purpose and meaning if you do not feel you have anything unique to bring to the table, if I'm just going to mm-hmm. put it very plainly. Well, and I think ritual. that, I, I was, you know, go ahead. and ritual, no, yeah. Well, no, the mental health ritual. industry also, yes. the way that the mental health industry is teaching us to break people down and to, to just, and we're not talking about psychologists. We're talking about just, just master's level counselors that are being churned out like crazy. You know, right. I was in one of these programs. It's basically a mill. It's you're a churning mill. these people out and you're giving them the power of diagnosis and you're connecting them to the insurance companies to give the people their diagnoses that are going to stay with them forever. You're in, empowering them to do mental status exams every single time they see a client or a patient and to, um, to sort of break people down into their component parts and examine every part of a person in a categorical manner. And the idea that every single person who walks through your door has multiple diagnosis codes that you can apply to them. And it felt very mechanistic. I I keep coming back to that word, but this technical um, envisioning ritual yeah it's also but it's virtual virtual, oh virtual virtual, yeah it's well it's equipping it's it's basically we're just these this cohort of therapists i think is just here until they can get ai therapists in and then it's going to be you're just going to see the computer because the computer can know you just by monitoring and and scanning and and there you go now you're categorized now you fall into this label and that label and here's your intersection and we're you know there's your intersectionality and I think it just takes the spirit away from it. Well, the virtual manipulation, um, it's also in our schools, but I, I was bored. And so I started playing some virtual game and I thought, okay, all I'm doing is matching pieces together. And then all of a sudden the story goes very, very dark and it becomes like, oh, should you get a divorce or should you not get a divorce? Should you have an affair? Should you not? And then I looked at the, like, it starts at age four. So there's a very virtual kind of, you don't have to have truth in a virtual world. No, you can change things as fast as you want to nothing. There's no, I mean, there's, there's no reality. Right. And so if you have this ideology of there is no truth, truth is whatever your experience is. And then we turn it virtual Mm -hmm. and then we put it virtual in front of our children. You know, their, their educations are gamified. How many answers can you get right? Woohoo, let's give you some balloons, right? But they're virtual too. Everything is fake. Everything is false. And it makes us very easy to be disposable. Yes. That's that's how I look at it. I'm like watching these people who don't know how to think. They call they call that nonsense that I shared, they call that critical thinking today. Mm-hmm. Just like they call whatever is going on in science you know, the science versus science are two very different things. Mm. Science can always be tested, can always be proven. Mm. The science cannot be questioned. Mm-hmm. This education cannot be questioned. So there what, 
Go what is the alternative and what is the answer and how do we move, <laughs> how do we move out of that? Because it's clear that this is, yeah, homeschool. I think that's great. But in terms right. of, and, and I, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that, but also what is it that you're, to what end? What is the alternative perspective or how, do, if we see the dark, what does the light look like? Mm. You know, I think parents have to get involved and they have to get engaged and they have to educate themselves so that they can educate their children. I mean, I think where I've seen where I've seen the, the least amount of damage happen in this day and age right now with these kids and what they're learning has been with the with the children whose parents are very actively involved in their children's lives. And I'm not talking about helicopter parenting. I'm not talking about you know, um, making all the decisions for them and whatever, they have no sense of free agency. I'm talking about parents who have built enough of a relationship with their children that there's a lot more honesty, there's more transparency. And those parents, they themselves are also educated on multiple fronts and can have these kinds of very well thought out and very um, civilized debates with their kids, even if their kids disagree. And those children end up, and I've, I've watched this happen with some very close personal relationships of mine. I don't have children I know people who do, and I've seen that be an antidote that has been able to, to stave off a lot of this sort of um, hate and segregation and and just nonsense. Everyone's a transphobe, all of that nonsense. And that's where I've seen it start. If we're talking about kids, it's, it's, it's the parents' involvement and getting involved with the school, getting involved in what their children are doing, having an mm-hmm. eye, you know, keeping an eye on that and being able to have good well thought out debate conversation that they're able to hear each other. And I, Mm -hmm. that may sound cliche, but I have seen it. This is what I think works. Mm -hmm. It's not standing back. It's moving forward, leaning in. Go ahead. No, I also, I think, um, forcing yourself to not be afraid. So we, we believe all of these narratives. I, I can only, an analogy would be when we moved um, when we moved to Utah, so we were in Seattle and, you know, it was mask up and follow all the rules and whatever else. And then as soon as you got to Idaho, you started seeing people with like their masks hanging off the side of their face. And we were returning to normal just by facing it. So we had to, we had to go through it and it was scary to leave everything behind and to go through it. And that's what you have to do. You have to get the idea out of your head that our schools right now are anything other than indoctrination. And I'm sorry, I I know that that's going to offend some people, but I just learned that when Mao did his cultural revolution, I just learned this. He turned off, he closed the schools for two years. What? Wow. Yeah. He closed the schools for two years and then all of a sudden had something all brand new for our schools. And so we, Oh my gosh, I got chills throughout my whole body. Wow. I was like, can somebody verify this? Wow. I don't, but, um, but yes, it was actually, um, Julie, I believe Julie Bailing who did verify it for me, but, um, but what we have to do is go, this is so scary. This is so horrifying. This is all of these things. And then we just need to take a step forward and say, I'm going to walk through this. Cause what's, what is the alternative? We live on our knees that's our alternative. We live in slavery. Yes. Or we aren't allowed to think or we move forward and whatever's ahead of us. You know, the other thing is, again, 
we had Judeo-Christianity and it worked for our country. And I'm not saying that you have to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that those basic values, Mm -hmm. the basic values that our neighbor is our brother, Mm -hmm. we need to return to that. And if you haven't, like I say this and people, you know, if you hold biases, if you are, do you have some bigot, bigoted values and generally most of us do whether that's good or bad we have biases okay you don't break them down and turn into a marxist to make it better Mm -hmm. that's being lied to so we just have to step forward Mm -hmm. that's why i called my channel be not afraid because Mm -hmm. look the stuff we face is gross and evil i i think it's both things i think that what they're doing to our children's abusive what you both said, I think, is it touches on some really important things because, Christine, you focused on the kids and then, Carrie, you focused on the self and the um, the responsibility yeah. of citizens in general. And I think both are really critical because the kids are where most of the push is coming. That's the, the re-education of a generation in order to create change that lasts generations. And yet, what are you doing if you're not showing... It? if kids are so important, they're important because adults are important Mm -hmm. because, because we are all important because each individual is important. And I think that when I think about one of the Jordan Peterson, let's talk about Mm -hmm. one of his best contributions. And he's been a strange and polarizing character in the last Mm -hmm. couple of years, but so much, I have so much respect for what he came out the gates with. And one of the things that I think shocked everybody who followed him into, you know, uh, it, it impressed so many people and it just felt so revolutionary, even though it was so basic and common mm-hmm. sense is when he said, clean your room, take care of yourself, <laughs> stop judging other people, stop spending all your time looking around you and saying how other people could be doing things differently and better. And instead come back to, to the self and take absolute responsibility for yourself. And I think that that's, I think that that's such an important thing. And I think that's the reason it resonated with people is that it's the opposite of the story that we continue to be told. We're being, um, we're, we're going, whether we're, I, I don't know, I'm, I hesitate. Sometimes I don't want to do, I, I don't want to involve myself in a lot of conjecture about what is this for and why are we doing this? And I just, I've been doing that and it's, I think that it's a good question. I think that it, it, you know, when you see where you're going with something, it it tells you something about why you're going where you're going. And so that there's a reason to speculate. But one of the things that we're doing more and more of is judging others and, and having this, there's this wave of citizens checking other people, you know, Mm -hmm. like with the mask, think about the masking, right. And the COVID we, we came up with this term, Karen, during this time where it describing this person, this woman who's going to be in your business and tell you what to do. Right. And, and yet everybody's kind of Karen, you see it on online. I think maybe it's this black and white splitting behavior. That's so encouraged by online interactions because there's, you lose the humanity of the other when you're doing this. Mm. But I, um, I think that going back to responsibility for the self and, and trying to stop controlling other people, if everybody would just adopt that stance, how different this would be. But no, we're we're going to teach people to be activists and protesters, which is all about telling other people how to live. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's in these books. It really is collectivism. Forget about the individual. 
Mm-hmm. And the, the best way that I can think of, like the, the very best thing that you can do for yourself is go out and build a garden. Mm-hmm. Build a garden because that means you hope for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because we're that. going in, I don't know what we're going into, but I, I, I think that, that, you know, hope for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what gives you hope? Um, I was in church on Sunday and we were singing O Holy Night mm-hmm. and the second verse, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. And that gives me hope. It gives me hope that I, I'm, I've never had a, a second where I've gone, oh, that looks like a good idea because I already know about loving my neighbor and I already know about peace that doesn't come from this seed of resentment. And so I have hope in that. And then also the fact that I teach my class, I teach these 15 year olds and I don't hold anything back. And we talk about things and the fact that they look at me and go, wow, there's one person who's standing up, you know? So I think sometimes, I think sometimes you have to fake it. Like you kind of have to, you have to fake your hope because it's hard because we Mm. live in extremely demoralizing time, but you fake it till you make it. And every day that you do, it becomes, I I don't know if it, it doesn't permanently become easier, but it does become like a balm. That's how I look at Mm. it. It becomes, you know, if I can, if I can focus on something outside of myself and also if I have the hope that I have for my faith, then those two things make me go, in the end, we win. Mm-hmm. I don't know where we go next year, but mm-hmm. in the end, we win. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I know. I sound you, like sell it. Christine? <laughs> no, no, it's not at all. Yeah. No, not- no, I think the, um, for me, it's tan- some tangible movement, like, you know, Ohio passing a bill recently that um, that trans or that gender dysphoria, you know, treatment for children should not, or can, should not include, you know, gender reassignment surgery and that exploratory therapy, you know, um, has a place. So I think when I see some kind of movement happen, um, within our government or within the law or within, you know, I guess, yeah, the law, the laws, even though I don't see that in California, but I see it happening in some other states here and there, you know, when I saw it happening in the UK, um, they're like professional, one of their professional bodies came out and made a statement. They were sued. And so this came out of that lawsuit though, um, which was that for therapists are protected now um, in using exploratory therapy with children that they deem are suffering from gender dysphoria. I have a problem even with gender dysphoria being diagnosed anyway, especially with kids. That's already for me an issue. I've said that many times mm-hmm. on many podcasts, but um, for what it is, this is a step in the right direction that they're trying to protect children. There's some mm-hmm. hope there that maybe we'll be able to protect the next generation behind this one. I don't know, this one might be gone, but the next one behind them, there might mm-hmm. be some hope. So I think that's what gives me hope. And these these conversations give me hope because I feel like in the time that I've left Antioch, um, I've struggled a lot to kind of find my people. And I feel like I happened to just find my people that I was able to just, you know, continue to speak out and to do, you know, things like this and, you know, to use my free time to, to, you know, speak about things, to do some writing, all the things that I never really thought I would ever, 
you know, do, you know, non, non-compensated, I mean, quite frankly, um, but I have, and um, I've met people such as the two of yourselves and others that give me hope too. And I, that's a big deal for me because I suffered from a lot of isolation in the beginning where I was very, I, I was this voice, but I was very isolated in what I felt. And I had a lot of struggle in the beginning with that. And now I don't feel isolated. Mm-hmm. So that gives me hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a guy in his room. Hi, I see you in the chat. There's a bunch of, a bunch of chats. I can't keep up with them. So thank you all for being here. But he says, good to hear that any of you actually have hope. I need to hear more of that. And I, I feel like, um, it seems like we're in a Western cultures in a depression, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm speaking mm-hmm. too broadly, but it feels like, you know, it's simply very simply put, you can get depressed if you focus on the past too much and you can get anxious if you focus on the future yes. too much. And, and so wanting to control things that you, you have no control about, you have, you, you suffer, uh, with, with the, the knowing that you can't change things that, that are bad that happened. And then the fear that things in the future won't unfold the way you hope that they will. So, you know, I guess where I find hope and hope is a future oriented word, but it's in the present Mm. it's in the connections Mm. and the continual amazing, rich relationships that Mm. I'm, that I'm, I'm having with people like yourselves, mm-hmm. like the other people that I've met through this, who are just concerned with trying to understand and trying to build something that feels healthy with who are, who are saying, this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out why, and let's figure out what we can do differently. And I think that there's a real tendency to try to dwell on what's wrong and I think there's a necessity to do that. You have to be able to define what's wrong so that you can know what's right. But there, through this whole thing runs this thread of brilliant, sensitive, loving people who really want to be the best that they can be and to have really high quality connections to other people. And I just, I think it's lovely. And I, I see it in my own Mm. Um, in my own life in in personal relationships that I have with other parents who are homeschooling their kids with continue, you know, as we come out of COVID and all of the anger and the division that that created, seeing the connections happen again between people who are, who are saying, okay, that's not the most important thing for us to be talking about. Let's talk about what really matters and with how much parents care about their kids and just, I, I really, I, I am hopeful that we can just continue to connect and try to love each other and overcome this, this time of polarization and division that seems to be so, oh, it's just the spirit of the time right now. Yes. They want us demoralized. Mm-hmm. That's, that is one of the steps for Yuri Bezmanov. So, mm-hmm. I, so resist that. Don't be well, demoralized. Count, count those blessings, count those little wins. Yes. I look mm-hmm. at it as throwing starfish. Whenever a parent calls me and says, I thought you were crazy, but now I'm seeing what you're saying. And I just count that as, okay, that's one starfish to throw back in the ocean. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's, that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I've seen it in my family too, which I never thought would happen where mm-hmm. their eyes are being opened in a way that I never thought would be mm-hmm. the case. And, um, it was actually like, wow, Christine, you were right. I heard that at the holiday. The holidays <laughs> that's happening. nice. And I was like, <laughs> good well, thing. Yeah. All right. And it's, it, and I've, since become less angry. I think I was very angry in the beginning and become less mm-hmm. angry about mm-hmm. it, less sort yeah. of emotionally kind of 
flooded by all of it. And um, mm-hmm. I'm seeing them become that way. And I'm becoming the more kind of grounded, rooted, okay, I hate to be right on those things, but now, you know, this is mm-hmm. what is hopeful going forward. I find myself then trying to give them some hope, which, you know, I mean, I didn't think that would happen. I mean, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have never believed that would be something I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I like I think- the, the saying, I like to think, I love you more than I care about being right. Yes. Cause yes. it's, there's the, there's like the, Yes. The process and the content, you know, there's the, yes. the form and the substance and they're both important. The form is important. The substance is important, but don't throw one away for the other. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It works very well in relationships too. Do you want to be right? Or do you want or do to you be want... happy? Yeah. But I think it can be tricky and you can be manipulated by it. I know that's, a, that's, a terrible that's why thing. both are important. Of that's course. why. Yes. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, I Head lightly. Any final thoughts as we wrap this up? I mean, I just want to thank you, Carib, for keeping us so looped in all the time. I mean, for those of you that are watching, you know, we have a little group text and I'm part of a couple of group texts with Carib and I'm always learning new things and getting updates. And thank you so much for all the work you're doing to do that because it's, it's really a lot. I mean, above and beyond what I've seen from any, anybody. So I just want to thank you for all of that research and all that hard work, because I see it. And even if I don't respond to something right away, I'm reading it, I'm learning, I'm, I'm absorbing. And so I just, I really wanted to thank you for that. And to you, Leslie, for, you know, the platform that you've been so gracious to provide all of us who want to come out and say something. So I'm very grateful for both of you. And I just really want to end with those words. Yeah. I think I'd say that you guys are, are gifts. And I also think that we need to look at, we need to look at the knowledge and the ability that we have to be discerning as gifts. And since we have them, they're not the kind of thing that you keep for yourself. And Mm. so I really appreciate it. And parents, if you're listening, grandparents, if you're listening, please, please share this stuff because I'm kept awake all the time on the idea that our children could go through a cultural revolution in the same terrifying ways that have been done in the past. Yes. And we can stop it. If, if 10% of us said, yeah, our kids aren't attending public school, then our local districts would look around and they would go, what is going on? And they would have to listen at least this much. And that would be this much more than they are listening right now. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with Christine, Carrie. I am so grateful for the work that you're doing. You're really, you've got your nose to the ground and you're really in there learning what's going on in a way that brings it out for others for those of us who have some distance from it for people who don't have kids or whose kids are grown or people who are already homeschooling doing this work and showing us no this is actually what they're doing this is actually what's happening is really important i think that that and it must be maddening to you sometimes to be in there on you know dealing with this stuff so on such a granular level, but I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I think it's so important and I hope you stay optimistic and, 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 you know, remember how important what you're doing is. And Christine, thank you very much for these conversations. I really value your voice of sanity, your humor, and, and just the ability you have to cut through this stuff and, and see truth. Thank you both so much. I really am grateful for 
this year of um, yeah connecting. So yeah. I guess it's the end of the year. And yes, yeah, yeah. All right. 